Well, good morning, everybody, uh, whether you're in the building or at home. And if I haven't had chance yet, um, Happy New Year. Um, I know some people, I've had some mixed reactions when I said Happy New Year this year. I think uh, some people are feeling a bit nervous about what 2022 is going to bring. Uh, some of us are wondering, is this going to be a new start? Are we going to have an end to this pandemic? And some people, I think, already are facing some difficult times. So perhaps I should just say, God be with us. God be with us. Because uh, that's the way to get through 2022, isn't it? To know that God is with us and that God is for us. I'm just going to pray um, before I start. Father God, I thank you that you are with us that you love us, that you are for us. And when you are for us, who can be against us? Father God, I just pray that you will speak through the words that I speak, that they may be spirit-led and spirit-inspired, that you may speak to our hearts as well as our heads, that you will challenge us and you will change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series that we began last term, looking at discipleship and what that means for you and I in our day-to-day life. But this term, we're going to look more specifically at disciple-making. So as disciples, we're called not just to live as followers of Jesus, but we're called to draw others to him as well. And I know for some people, when I talk about disciple-making, sometimes we call it evangelism, that makes people very nervous. Because I know for some people that is quite a frightening thing to talk to friends, neighbours, perhaps colleagues about their faith. But I want you to just hold that feeling, whatever that inspires in you, whether it actually makes you quite excited because you love to share your faith with others, or whether it makes you feel quite nervous, just hold that before God. And I want to encourage you, if there's anxiety or fear there, to still allow Jesus to challenge and gently change that in you, to just bring that before, to acknowledge it. We need to be honest, just as Dan said at the beginning. It's no good putting a front on with God. God knows us. He knows our hearts. To just bring that before him. I wonder if you'd asked Simon Peter and James and John, who were there fishing, whether you'd ask them that morning how they'd feel about becoming evangelists. I wonder what they'd have said to you. I suspect they'd probably have laughed at you. Certainly wasn't uppermost in their mind that morning before Jesus came and took the boat. So what happened to those fishermen in that short few hours, that space of time that changed them so dramatically. That when Jesus said, follow me, they left everything and they followed him. What's going on to cause that dramatic change? 
And that's what we're going to look at now. So Barbara has read to us the first part of Luke chapter 5. Now, as Jesus often did, he was teaching outside. That's the context of this passage. Jesus is teaching to the crowds, as he so often did, out. It's an outdoor meeting. And the crowd becomes so large that he's struggling to be heard or seen by the people. And so he sees the boats. Peter and James and John have brought their boats in after a night's fishing. And he thinks, ah, there's an idea. Let's get one of the boats. I'll take it out into the water a little way so that people can see me. And I gather, not that I've ever preached from a boat, but I gather the acoustics are quite good. Um, So people can hear you. Maybe I'll try it one day. Let's see. So it says in the scriptures, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and he asked him to put out a little way from shore. Now, I wonder what Simon Peter's first reaction is to that. Remember, he's been out all night fishing. Unsuccessfully, we find out later. He's probably a bit tired. He's busy cleaning his nets. He's probably looking forward to a bit of a kip, maybe a nice breakfast at home. But Jesus comes along and says, I want your boat. Let's put it out. We don't even know if Simon's interested in what Jesus has been saying. We don't know if he's been listening to Jesus talk or not. But he does it. He does as Jesus asks. And that sounds very simple, doesn't it? Jesus says, I want your boat. Simon says, yes. But actually, I think that's the first step. And it's the first step for you and I in that challenge and change. It sounds so simple, but I think we complicate it so often, don't we? Jesus says something, and we go, oh yeah, well, I can't do it quite like that. I can't do it that way. Or maybe I didn't hear Jesus quite right. Maybe I need to do it a different way. And we second-guess ourselves. I've found myself doing that so often. When Jesus asked me to do something, I'm like, well, you want me to go and speak to that person? Oh, no, I don't think they want me to to go and speak to them. No, I don't think that's the right thing to do. And then you end up getting into this complicated (laughs) argument with Jesus when it's much simpler just to do what Jesus says. It is. So Simon Peter does what Jesus asks him to do. That's his first step. Now, I don't know what Jesus taught that day. We're not told what Jesus was teaching. But Simon Peter is undoubtedly listening to what Jesus is teaching. He's got a ringside seat, hasn't he? He's there in the boat with Jesus. But I'm sure that what begins to happen in Simon now, after his first act of saying yes to Jesus, is that he begins to hear the word of God, and he begins to let that seep into his heart. And for those of us that want to follow Jesus... I think the first step is that yes, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. But the next step is to allow Jesus' words to seep deep in our hearts, to put ourselves in a position, just as Simon was in the boat, to really hear what Jesus has to say to us, to allow his words to penetrate so deeply into our hearts Jesus talks about the bread of God 
being the word of God, the bread and the word of God, being something that he needs, that he lives on. We need to be those sort of people for whom the word of God is bread and water. It's a basic need. So he said yes. He's listened to Jesus' words and allowed them to go deep. What happens next? Well, Jesus finished teaching. And then he does what I would think is quite a strange thing to do. He tells Simon to go fishing again. Now, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. Simon Peter is the professional fisherman. I wonder how Simon reacts to that. Jesus says, go on, let's go fishing. It's time to go fishing. Simon, I suspect, rather peevishly says and explains to Jesus that actually they've been fishing all night and there are no fish, they haven't caught any. Who's this preacher man? Who's this carpenter preacher who's coming and telling him how to do his job? But this is what Peter says, or Simon Peter says. Yet, if you say so, I'll let down my nets. Yet, if you say so, I'll let down my nets. Yet is a really important word in Scripture. Logically, Simon Peter's saying, there's no fish there. What's the point? I don't want another drawn-out fishing trip. I'm just back from a night out. I'm tired. Yet. Yet, says Peter, you're telling me to do it. Okay. And yet, for me, is one of those really key words in Scripture. It's a little word. All of three letters. It comes up in Jeremiah. There's a very famous passage in Jeremiah's Lamentations. Lamentations, as you probably gather from the name, is not the most uplifting book in the world. If you're feeling a bit down, I don't recommend Lamentations as a book to read in the Scriptures. But there's a little bit, a little bit of light, like a, like a little chink of light in the middle of Lamentations. And it says this, Jeremiah says this, My soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And what he calls to mind is God's love, his steadfast love for us. Simon Peter, Jeremiah, myself, probably you too. Our logical brains say that what Jesus is asking him to do is futile. What's the point? And yet, his spirit says that, and yet. And I hope for you that becomes your experience. My experience of Jesus is when he tells me to do something, if my spirit says the and yet, I know I need to pay attention. When Jesus called me out of my teaching job, there were all these logical things in my head going, yeah, but how am I supposed to earn my money? I like teaching. I enjoy doing that. But in my spirit, there was that and yet. We're all called by God to something. It may not be 
to the ministry. But we are all called. And if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not. Everybody else seems to have a calling, but I'm not called. I challenge you to go and do a Bible study on calling. It'll be a long one, believe me, because there are so many words for being called. But you are called by God. I just did a little Bible study in the midst of doing this preparation, um, just because I felt that was something that God wanted to say. There was, there, God was saying to some people in our church, you are called, know you're called. And there are things like you're called to belong to Christ, you're called to be a saint, you're called to be free. But you have a calling on your life from Jesus. And if you're not sure what it is yet, just hold with Jesus for that. He has a calling for you. And even if it seems illogical, and yet. For Simon... Being obedient to that illogical suggestion of Jesus to go out and fish again. What a result. What a result. They caught so many fish that actually Simon Peter had to call John and James with their boat to come alongside and collect the rest of the fish. And even then the boats were sinking. There was so much fish. So often, in Scripture, obedience leads to abundance. That was something that God said to me as I was preparing this. Our obedience leads to abundance. If we are prepared to bow the knee, to do what Jesus is saying, even if sometimes it seems the most illogical thing to do, then abundance fruitfulness is going to follow. Now, it may not be lots of fish. It may be that it's, you become more productive. It may be that you begin to see friends and family coming to know Jesus for themselves. Often it's that simple yes to Jesus, but it's such a powerful thing. What does it lead to for Simon? And I always find Simon's reaction quite interesting. I think my first reaction would be, hooray, caught loads of fish, don't need to go fishing for a few days now, can sell this, got some financial security for a bit for my family. But that is not what Simon does. What does he do? It says in verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When Simon Peter witnesses the power of Jesus, it suddenly hits home to him how inadequate and sinful he is. Even the way that he addresses Jesus in this passage changes. In verse 5, Simon Peter calls him master. In Greek, it's epistata. And it's a term of respect but nothing more than that. It shows a recognition of Jesus as a rabbi and a teacher. But by verse 8, he calls him Lord. Kyrie, Lord. Something has shifted in Simon between that first, yes, I'll take my boat out, 
to the, my goodness, I've just witnessed a miracle. He's no longer just seeing Jesus as a respected teacher. He begins to recognize him as his Lord. He's recognizing that divine power. And for us to fully enter into all that Jesus has called us to, I think our perception will have to change of Jesus. Is he your master or is he your Lord? Is he someone you respect and you think, yeah, I like Jesus' teaching, it's good stuff. Or is he your Lord? That you obey, that you say yes to. Is he an added extra in your life or is he your life? Is he one of your hobbies or is he your life? Is he just someone you turn to in difficult times or is he your life? That's a challenge. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to every one of us who want to follow Jesus. So it's a saying yes. It's allowing scripture. It's allowing God's word, whether it be spoken or written, to go deep into our hearts. It's a recognition of our own inadequacy, that we can't do this on our own. And I love Jesus' response to Simon. He doesn't say, yes, you're a disgrace, you're a terrible person. What does he say? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love Jesus. I love so much the way he responds. It's the message of the angels, isn't it, at Christmas? I preached on that at Midnight Mass. Don't be afraid. It's the message of God to many of the patriarchs, to Joshua, to Gideon. Jesus whispers it to you and I. Don't be afraid. I've got this. Don't be afraid. Like Simon Peter, we may well feel inadequate and sinful. And rightly so. Because we can't do it on our own. And whatever he's called you to do, whether that seems a huge thing right now or a small thing, he has this. He will equip you and he will empower you. Jesus goes on to say to Simon and to his companions, John and James, from now on you will be fishers of men. I love the way that Jesus draws on their professional skills, draws on their natural gifting, and says, yeah, you're not bad, fishermen, although Jesus has proved to be a better one. But I'm going to make you fishers of people. And it may be that God is calling you to stay exactly where you are, that he wants to use the gifting that you have, and he's calling you to stay there, but to do it with his anointing. It may be that some of you are sensing a calling out of somewhere to somewhere else. That sometimes feels a bit scarier, doesn't it? Actually, they're both, they're both callings. Just listen in and trust him, because Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've got this. I'm going to equip you. I just want to finish with one thing that God said to me um, 
quite powerfully this morning. When the first, when the pandemic started, we felt as a church that um, God was saying just to wait, just to wait. And we spent a lot of time with the listening and praying. And I think that's right. It's absolutely right. But I felt God saying this morning, are you waiting or you're waiting on me? Are you waiting or are you waiting on me? And there's a real difference there. Are we waiting, as in are we holding back? Are we going, well, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing next. I'll just wait. I'll wait for someone else to do it. Or are we waiting on God, hearing what he has to say, saying yes to the calling he has on our life? I just want to pray for us, and then we're going to watch um, a a short video. Um, I just want to pray for us that God, whatever it is that God's saying to you, and I believe he wants to speak to each one of us, whether you're at home or whether you're in the building, that we allow God to challenge and change us and that we do that simple act of yes, Jesus, because he will do the rest. Father God, I thank you that in the midst of our inadequacy, of our feeling of shame and guilt, you whisper, don't be afraid. I've got this. Thank you, Jesus, that you are all that we need. We can't do this on our own. We want to say yes to you. Yes to your calling on our lives. Pray that in Jesus' name we will move in the calling that you called us to. And we will say that and yet even when our logical brains say, how, why, when. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our Lord. Amen.